the Data Driven Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, we explore how to transform your company and career through data-driven decision-making. Want to become a data storytelling aficionado? Then sit back, relax, and get ready to unlock the true potential of your data. Here's the host of the Data Driven Podcast, Dominic Bohan. this week, Dominic and I talked about crafting use cases for AI and data and analytics and the ethics and social impacts of AI-driven data and analytics. Today, we're going to wrap up our conversation by discussing finding a career in artificial intelligence and data and analytics. So here's my conversation with Dominic Gligot, the CEO and CTO at Cyrillytics. Uh... Finding a career in AI and analytics. What can people that are looking for a career change or young folks that are just starting out in their career do to position themselves for a career in artificial intelligence and or data and analytics? Yeah, so I'm going to tackle it three ways. The first is, I remember in the first episode, we discussed the builders of the AI may not necessarily be the users of AI. And that's the first opportunity people who are still interested in kind of the technical aspects of AI, learning the data science, there will certainly be a higher demand for them anyway, because people are going to want to experiment with models. But there's going to be a slight, I would say, bifurcation in kind of the analytics or the data translator role. It'll be easier for them to actually find work without learning a lot of the heavy technical skills, as long as they understand how prompting works, how to understand how a large language models can do a lot of the kind of the technical work, but then they supplement it with their business and domain experience, storytelling, journalistic experience. So that's that'll be first two strands. Immediately, the impact will be there. The third strand is, I would say, people who are more into freelancing or entrepreneurs. The opportunity is now you can use these models to automate a lot of relatively menial tasks, but that other businesses struggle with. I was talking about dime a dozen. That's an opportunity. The chat PDF application. Think of how many companies have legacy documents and you just struggle with summarizing and documenting all of this. I think knowledge management will make a big comeback because that's another area companies struggle with. They may have already a lot of information, but they struggle to to impart that to new employees. Guess what? Anyone who can figure out an efficient way of translating internal company documents into kind of like a chat GPT empowered FAQ will speed up onboarding, speed up hiring, even customers for that matter, rather than having to read through terms and conditions, just have the chatbot tell it to me in plain English in ways that I can easily understand. The legal profession stands to be disrupted a lot. Lots of documents, hard to understand. Just give me this auto robo lawyer, explain this to me in, in simple English in a way that I don't feel threatened that I'm missing something. So those are like the first three things you will probably see. The people who are doing the technical stuff will still be there. Maybe it won't be as exponential as we all thought that everyone's going to be a data scientist someday, but a bit more linear perhaps, but it's still going to grow. The big opportunities in the Uh, middle. When you say it's going to grow, that's the number of people requiring analytics and data literacy skills? Correct, correct. The middle part is the big one, the sweet spot, because... These were people who would have been normally excluded from the discussion because 
they either don't want to get into the programming too much or they struggle with the math stuff too much, but they have a lot of knowledge in marketing and finance, basic business process, armed with a chatbot, and they become so much more productive. And then the freelance slash entrepreneur strand where they look to commodity, they look for these processes that they can now commoditize with the help of AI. That's going to be a massive opportunity for a lot of so let's say someone's looking for a career change. They're working in a non-technical field. Let's say they're doing sales, but they don't really like it. They want a career change. What would you recommend for them to self-study to be able to make a transition into something in the AI or data analytics space? If you're already in sales, but maybe what's keeping you is because salespeople they live and die by one thing, their quotas, right? So if you hit the quota, you get your bonus. If not, you don't. But you may have otherwise been well-trained as a salesperson because there's a high degree of, I would call, randomness in sales. Sometimes you make a good month. Sometimes you make a bad month. What will always be constant is there will be a demand for new salespeople. So one of the first things I would probably pivot into being in that spot is I may not be, the, I may not be hitting my numbers, but maybe I can train future salespeople better and That'll require content creation to, to, say, to create sales training programs. That'll require coaching. All of that could be AI assisted if you think about it. Assimilate a lot of sales material, give, give a lot of, you just post a lot of content. You can do that by yourself or within a company. That's one of the early pivots. Another pivot can be in the sales process itself. How do you help customers onboard better? How do you find new opportunities more on the planning side? Again, with the right information, and a large language model, you can easily brainstorm a lot of kind of opportunities. If you go into kind of the, maybe a third is let segue into kind of the near vertical, which is marketing. You may not be the hot salesperson, but having gone through the sales process, you know how it works, can help you become a better marketer. And in marketing, the opportunities for AI are even more tremendous. Customer segmentation, understanding, creating better sales scripts, creating better marketing campaigns, going back into content. I think content is single-handedly one of the biggest opportunities for AI because images, sound, text, blogs, a lot of that can be semi-automated already, if not fully automated. Remember there was this song that sounded like Drake and then it went viral until they had to take it down from Spotify. And that just gives you the, the potential for all of these authoring tools assisted by AI, e even things like Canva. Before Canva, you, you struggled to come up with posters and cards. And now you have Canva. And now it's Canva with AI. It helps you select the art, the style. You can make it. One particularly tool, one good tool I'm particularly fond of is, I don't know if you've ever heard of Lumen5. So Lumen5 is this video authoring tool. You should get into it. If you want to create those nice one to two minute spots, stuff like uh, Unilad, Lad Bible. And now this, you see these clips, Lumen5 can do that for you. All you need is a script, feed it in. It'll start coming up with the B-roll and then suggesting music. It's all royalty-free or licensed as you wish. And then now you have filler content for your blog or filler content for your YouTube channel. That's why the YouTube thing is just exploding even now. And then TikTok, just the same, exploding even now. So yeah, going back to your first question. What's the quality like? For Lumen? Ah, it's yeah. passable. Of course. It never hurts to be a bit of a creative yourself. We're not saying that artists and writers are going to go out of business. Uh, I think it's more about it's the artists and writers 
who are assisted by AI, they're going to reap huge benefits because they already have the creative spark already. And then you can use this to improve pro productivity. So the same thing applies to our salesperson looking for a career change. You may not have hit your quota consistently, but you've been there, you've done that, and that knowledge is valuable. But the best use of that knowledge now is to impart it to others, and then people will probably start paying you for that knowledge. Just ideas. Great. So the, some great ideas in terms of specific use cases within the industry where people could perhaps take their domain knowledge and then double down on that with a little bit of help from AI. And then they just get so much leverage that it's just not possible to get previously without basically a lot of help and probably funding. Yeah. And one thing that people underestimate about large language models, and I don't want to sound like I'm selling it too much, is because of the sheer amount of information they were trained on, it probably knows more about the world than you do, like technically, right? So its ability to draw inferences and relationships between something that's very tight, let's say, all I know is sales. But then with an LLM, I can say, okay, but this is what sales would do in banking. This is what sales would do in retail. This is what sales would do in other fields. And it's easier for someone to then transition into kind of this multimodal, I would call expert with the help of a large language model. And I think it, it can really help people with imposter syndrome, for example, because previously the barrier to entry to many fields is just the pure amount of information you need to absorb just to get into it. Even if the job is like a sales job, let's say if you want to be a salesman in a bank, you're going to have to understand loans, credit cards, deposits, interest rates, highly technical stuff. But then with the large language model, pretty much as a virtual assistant, you could shortcut a lot of that knowledge. So not only are you able to shift careers if you wanted to, you could enter careers too. It can be, it can do a lot of the preliminary research for you. Now, in terms of skills in the data and analytics space, so we talked briefly in a previous episode about certain skills like really in-depth knowledge of particular programming languages and frameworks potentially become less valuable because translating a snippet of code from Python to JavaScript is now quite easy to do. So what are some of the other skills that will potentially become less valuable and some of the skills that will become more valuable than ever that people should look to double down on? Yeah, so let's start with the point you mentioned. So there's two aspects to the programming that will be affected differently. The mechanical stuff, like writing an if-then statement or for you, that's going to go very quickly. But I don't think like the higher level, let's say designing a programming architecture or designing a flow will be affected much, although large language models could actually suggest that. So the people who actually build software, they will probably migrate towards that higher level skill. Like how do you create a better user experience? How do you create a more efficient, let's say, workflow? Let's say in data, ETL is one of those things. So you don't necessarily need to spend too much time. What is ETL? Yeah, ETL is a, it's a very data esoteric term. It means extract, transform, and load. It's actually the secret sauce in most analytic workflows that people ignore. It's the ability to move data from one place to another, from a database to your Excel sheet, from your Excel sheet to an application. So previously, that domain was very, very niche. And that's been inherited now by the data engineer. So the mechanical part of ETL, like writing ETL scripts or creating workflows, 
you could probably just ask a large language model how to do that. But designing the workflows, designing the architecture, that's still something that humans can do. And that will become more valuable because now you have an explosion in use cases and people need to do it in a faster time. Data engineering tasks are notoriously labor-intensive, take forever to do, and the time to market for these solutions is forever, right? So that's the programming stuff. Now let's go to the non-programming stuff. There will certainly be an explosion in what we mentioned before, the translator task. So these are people who can convert a business problem into a data problem or the other way around, a data solution, and then bridge it to like a business thing. To be specific, we talked about getting back to the basics of finances in a business, right? If the business problem is our revenue is slowing, we need to grow more revenue, then the translators would know how to ask that question. Okay, where is our revenue slowing? Is it number of customers? Is it our pricing? Is it our products? And these are things programmers don't really know about or care about. But the translator will be able to use that information. Hey, look, it's really more customer growth. And maybe the issue is we're not targeting properly or we've saturated a market and we'll go to the next market. How do you get into that next market? But at that level alone, a large language model will be able to give you ideas either from similar companies, similar industries, what's happened in other countries. So the brainstorming potential is huge. But then the translator will have to need to bring it back to the data people and say, hey, we need to do some customer segmentation or we need to do some propensity modeling, try to predict who's buying what. And again, maybe the technical aspect is already partly addressed by a large language model anyway, or even if it isn't, the interpretation of the results, like you mentioned, logistic regression, a very popular modeling tool. We're probably close, if not we're already at a point where the large language models will be able to write the logistic regression code itself. <laughs> so I've uh, given it a try and it's a little bit buggy, but it's it can, almost uh, there, but yeah, it, it's pretty close. Yeah. If you know what you're doing and you can give it some sensible prompts, you can get it there and it's way faster than writing the code from scratch, at least Absolutely. for a novice like me. Yeah. So if you, let's say you cut that development time by easily, let's just say 50%. That's still huge because now you can spend more time tweaking the parameters or using like in all good old fashioned grid scoring, deciding where the cutoff is. And you compound that efficiency over time. That's a competitive advantage for any company. It's not very obvious upfront, but I think at the skills level, what I like about this is the opportunities are really at the individual level. So if you're an aspiring data analyst and you know where your gaps are, you can use the large language model to supplement you and start interacting with a kind of a wider range of issues in a company that you wouldn't normally get into because you're too busy reading the book on logistic regression. And then on a more strategic level, assuming you're a mid-level senior leader and enough to ask a large language model, hey, look, is it a revenue problem or a cost problem? That can easily spell the difference between raising your company's stock by a few points to like doubling it because the, your cash flow has improved or your earnings per share has improved. It's that ability to connect the dots. That'll be highly in demand. Translators, business strategists. And again, let's not forget the prop engineering skill itself. It is a skill. And that's a skill that's now open to a wider set of people. I think we're going to 
we're probably close to making the usual, oh, I'm more of a JavaScript than a Python than a PHP developer. Those debates are irrelevant. I'm going to be more of, am I going to do a one-shot prompt or a multiple-shot prompt? Or that's the semi-technicality that's going to come in. And I even think that's going to go away eventually because we're going to come to a point where we just converse with the LLM. The LLM will figure out how to prompt itself and give you the output. It's both disturbing and exciting if you think of it that way. Yeah, I tend to think the prompt engineering space is changing really fast. And a lot of prompt engineering tips, they're not necessarily, there's nothing wrong with them, but they're mainly aimed at circumventing the limitations of the current model. So how to work with a certain number of tokens, how to deal with the fact that it's a little bit buggy or it doesn't know certain things in its training data set, or you can't connect it to the internet, although now you can with ChatGPT. And when I hear people say, hey, you've got to learn prompt engineering, download my prompt engineering cheat sheet, I think, yeah, there's no harm in uh, learning a few <laughs> tips of the trade. But what I'm really interested in, Doc, is what are some more timeless and fundamental skills? And you've touched on some of these skills, right? Asking the right questions, articulating a problem clearly, understanding what your stakeholders need, coming up with novel ideas for how to increase revenue, decrease cost. How can people hone these skills? I think one, one opportunity that uh, the emergence of AI has probably afforded us, there's a term that I've heard called knowledge compression, where the time needed to assimilate what would otherwise have taken years, just top level of information has been shortened. And that gives people the opportunity to iterate on their own careers. Okay, do a little bit of this, do a little bit of that. So you tend to, I would say over time in the AI era, you would tend to accumulate more experience over time as opposed to like in the old era where you have to spend years in one field just to get a feel of it. And what you mentioned about storytelling, problem solving, critical thinking, creativity, that's actually, these are the timeless skills. In fact, if you look at the new list of World Economic Forum skills in demand between the previous era and now. Surprisingly, creativity is on the top of the list because it's not because, as was uh, as what people are fearing, machines start replacing people in terms of output. It actually gives people more opportunities to be creative because you remove a lot of that drudgery and coding time and you can focus on exactly what problem am I solving, what story am I telling. I think communication skills is underrated even especially during the, the early days of data science because everyone was too busy studying statistics and learning how regression works. So now that potentially is being addressed by technology, you now have more time to hone in on your messages, breaking it down depending on the audience. And that's why content creation has just gotten into this new level of renaissance. Everyone's creating short form, long, long form, medium form videos and they're getting monetized. And we haven't even touched on, I would say, probably more contentious, which is the image generation side of things because it's disrupting copyright, disrupting photography. Interesting point that I read about recently is at a technical level, machine learning has now converged in terms of methodologies. Like once upon a time, the models you would use for language processing are very different for the models you would use for kind of for image but then now the architectures are converging on the same stuff, diffusion models, transformers, and even the way images are created is actually through words. So that for me is mind-blowing because 
who would have known you'd be on the verge of becoming a great visual artist just on the basis of your linguistic skills? If you're able to prompt a machine better and add these keywords, you can now come up with better images. I That's the contentious part. Would you consider writing a sentence at the same level as a painter with a brush or a photographer with a camera? I, I'm not going to comment on that, but I think people can visually see for themselves that the outputs are very close, if not perhaps indistinguishable in a kind of double-blind test. And so I want to bring this back to data and analytics. And I think the text-to-image is such a visceral example that everyone can understand. So if instead of having to learn to paint, you just have to be able to think of the most interesting, compelling painting that's going to inspire humans and then describe it in a way that the model can understand. Can we basically use that as a parallel for data and analytics where now you don't need to understand how to clean and scrub the data and do all of your data janitorial work. You don't need to know how to write code. You don't need to how to use and how to use all these frameworks. You just need to know enough about the data and the value that could be embedded in it. And then what you want to achieve as a business what's realistic for your stakeholders to sign off on and actually go off and implement and then go prompt it. Could text to image be a predictor of what's going to come in the data and analytics space? Yeah, because it just begs the question, if you can do text to pictures, you should be able to do text to charts and charts to text. That, well, not alone. Yeah, that alone is really the big game changer. I remember years ago, I was still working in banking and one of the things that I was very proud of doing is this really simple spreadsheet that helped interpret accounting ratios. And I did it because I had a colleague who didn't know anything about accounting. And he said, you know, just input into these cells the last three years of sales, the last three years of assets, liabilities, etc." And then I had text prompts, if-then statements, basically saying, hey, look, inventory has been shrinking. Maybe this is the problem. And I didn't know that I would encounter that same spreadsheet easily five years later, used by someone else, and he said, hey, we inherited this really great intelligence spreadsheet and we're basing all our reports on it. That little thing, we did that partly as a favor to someone. And that's if-then stuff. And imagine large language models being integrated into business analysis, into reports, the dime a dozen thing I mentioned. That's where it is. And if anything, it shortens the time to market, the productivity. But one thing that I'm really keeping my eye on is, are the insights better? than what humans would have come up with. I think that's the game changer. If you're able to surface anomalies faster, that's good. But if you're able to give a company advice given an anomaly, wow, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? And that means you distill what would have been years of business experience into a model potential. We have the perfect contrived examples to experiment with this on because we have case studies where we've got a simple data set. So it might have Let's say it's got 2,000 rows of realistic business data. We have a case study, so we have a problem. We might use UDoc, and so we tell a little bit of information about who you are, the business problem you're trying to solve, and we get our learners to solve the problem and present the findings back to us in our workshops. And we ran one of these workshops that we've run many times before for the first time in an AI class in Manila a couple of weeks ago. How did it go? It was fantastic. In a much shorter space of time, people were able to extract valuable insights. And the quality of the work, given a very short amount of workshop time, was incredible. 
And I've tested this for myself. I can say, all right, Dominic Ligot, CEO at Cyrillytics, he cares about this. Paste some data. You get ChatGPT to write Excel macros or even using Python directly with the code interpreter. Get it to come up with some statistics. Then paste those back into ChatGPT and say, okay, curate these. Craft them into a story for Doc Ligot based on the information I've given you. And honestly, the quality of the work it produces is pretty outstanding. It's something that it's already quite good at doing. Yeah, I think uh, the hidden opportunity is right in front of many executives. Most executives actually struggle with a very simple thing. Since it takes forever for them to get business information, they often end up making decisions based on gut feel or anecdotal stuff. But imagine if they had an analyst who can just give them kind of incisive information on the fly. That's the promised land for most boards or executives. But then more than that, imagine if you had a menu of business decisions. Is it a revenue growth problem? Is it a cost problem? Is it a loss problem? Is it a market share problem? It pretty much just gamifies your business. And the idea there is the agility it gives you as an executive, it just, it's mind-blowing. You can then take that agility anywhere you go and you and then become a more valuable executive. Your career gets better. These are all the ideal outcomes if you're able to leverage this. And I'm very impressed by, I don't know if you see it similarly, the barrier to entry in terms of technology and cost. Like for example, back in the day to get any decent analytics project started, you had to spend tons of money on infrastructure, buy data warehouses and right and left. Now, a lot of these large language models, very cheap. It's, it really shifts the pressure from IT and procurement to internal business process. Okay, we, since we can just send this thing anything we want and it gives us an answer every time. Like the Roomba example, we're now, we now need to fix all of our furniture so that this robot vacuum cleaner can start cleaning it more efficiently. It's going to happen. It'll influence the way people organize their data on a fundamental level. So now the, because if you remember the emphasis, let's say on data quality and proper curation data dictionaries, I find that in, from experience, people don't really care about that because the time to market, once you've cleaned all that up, is that forever. I don't know what happened. I did the data dictionary. It's been two years and I haven't felt anything. The time to market using these tools can be very quickly. Then I know, okay, I got to clean this stuff up because when I send it to the chatbot, I can get the next million dollar opportunity for our business. And that's good for my career. These are like some of the connect the dots that could happen. Thanks, Doc. <laughs> a lot to take in there. Anything else that you wanted to share with us today before we wrap up? I think when we started the conversation with AI, productivity jobs, and then ethics. And for me, I'm finding myself looking at two very extremely different scenarios. One scenario is we realize all the benefits of AI. We become a better human race businesses. And the other side is we become so paranoid about it that we end up just shutting it down or buckling it down, et cetera. And I feel that some of the fears have been over, I would say over bloated, that the natural inclination for most people would be to ignore the opportunity and then focus on the risks. And that's just a function of education, I think. And I like that you have this podcast. The opportunity is to simplify a lot of this language so that people appreciate it more and bring the adoption on a more, I'd say a more grassroots level 
because I remember when when data science became popular, I was still a little disappointed that it only catered to a very unique niche of people who have the programming and the math and kind of the business skills. That's not everyone. But I see this is an opportunity to bring all of that down to pretty much the level of any professional and new professionals. That's what I'm actually thinking about. How do we do that? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's uh, how do we do it? It's a difficult question. But what I'm seeing is people are just going and experimenting. They're just trying things and creating all sorts of amazing applications for it that, yeah, the creators of this model or no one really, even a few months ago, foresaw. Yeah, and the variations, some of them are funny, some of them are weird, but a lot of them are actually pretty decent. And it's maybe it's just early days, but I remember reading that the adoption, although it's been massive, I would say easily... I don't know. Conservatively, 70% of people you would meet probably haven't even given it a shot. So people who have maybe <laughs> vested exp- vested interest to give a chat about a shot, they've already done it. They're in the middle of it. But there's still a broader swath of people who are like, AI is too complicated. Uh, I'll just do it later. Or I'm a late adopter kind of thing. And that's an opportunity loss if, you, if ever there was one. Definitely. Doc, thanks for joining us today. I think you don't need to stick around for me to record the outros. It's pretty boring. But yeah, awesome interview and appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Let me know when it comes up so I can promote it. Will do. I'll share it with you. All right. All the best. That wraps up this episode of the Data Driven Podcast. Thanks to Dominic Ligot, CEO and CTO at Cyrillytics for joining us. If you would like to contact Dominic, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter, where his handle is DocLigot, or visit his company website at serolytics.com. Just one link in our show notes that I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to datadrivenpod.com, where we've got summaries of all our episodes and contact information for all our guests. And if you want to share your most compelling data narratives and use cases of data and analytics, you can apply to be a guest speaker on the Data Driven Podcast. Of course, you can always reach us on social media. Our handle on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is StoryIQ, or you can contact me directly on Twitter. My handle is Dominic Bohan. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a steady stream of data-driven brilliance in your podcast feed, we're publishing multiple episodes each week hit that subscribe button on your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow. Okay, that's all for today. But remember, when it comes to data storytelling, less is more.